Welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the intersection of faith and reason where we meet each week. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper. Of course, Father Spitzer's the one you came to see. He's our own Mr. Universe, but you can email your questions to us at <laughs> spitzersuniverse at EWTN.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, myriad ones, magiscenter.com, crediblecatholic.com, purposefuluniverse.com, and future.coms, I'm sure. Father Spitzer's Universe is always available <laughs> on our EWTN YouTube channel and the EWTN On Demand page. And during this ongoing Eucharistic revival, and boy, do we need it now, you will want to check out Dr. Scott Hahn's The Lamb's Supper. This is the classic program at our On Demand page. Dr. Hahn explains the importance of the Eucharist and the Mass and why they're central to Catholic faith. This is a classic, The Lamb's Supper, and it's available for free on demand and, of course, the great Jeff Cavins, our good friend, is also featured in that program. And, of course, the topic we are talking about is pride. And it's from Father's book, Christ vs. Satan in Our Daily Lives, available through the EW10 Religious Catalog naturally. And the book of the month for EW10 in January, our own publishing, is Prayers of Desperation, a questioner's prayer for answers in our darkest moments by our good friend Bishop Robert J. Baker, ex of Birmingham. And speaking of... People we like to talk to. We have our own Father Spitzer. Great to see you again. Good to see you, Doug, as I put it lightly. That's right. Uh, <laughs> how many times am I going to say that here? Uh, but anyway, <laughs> if you can kick things off with a prayer, it'd be great. Maybe pray for me, you know. So. You bet. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> well, of course, I always pray for you. Oh, okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Very good. And we just came out of uh, a weekend, basically, of some great pro-life coverage, thanks to our great teams in uh, D.C. and on the, uh, the West Coast in L.A. and San Francisco. Uh, thank all of them for that great coverage. And so I figured I'd start off with a story that's somewhat related. Uh, this was actually tweeted uh, out of the March for Life uh, before the march. Uh, oh, making right. the point that chemical abortions actually have significantly higher complication rates than surgical abortions, allowing pharmacists with little training to dispense chemical abortion pills will be fatal to unborn children and harmful to the health of countless women. Because you hear about that you now with making these available basically mm -hmm. like candy. So. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a huge problem. I, first of all, it's a, it's a huge abortifacient, and uh, and the complication problem makes it very unsafe for women. But um, but uh, apparently the uh, um, the pro-abortion movement has gotten their way, and um, they're going to push this agenda forward uh, until it actually causes, I think, an enormous number of problems. It'll finally, uh, even if uh, people try to disguise. Mm -hmm. Um, the harm that it's uh, doing and disguise the medical procedures that are being performed to rectify it. Uh, I do think it statistically it's going to make a difference and right. as the statistics begin to increase I think the exposure publicly 
uh, of the harm that it's causing is going to become more and more public. That's my hope anyway. Right. And so, uh, um, you know, what can you do? I mean, right now we're stuck with a government that, right. uh, that truly does believe um, uh, not only that um, uh, unborn life should not be protected, uh, it should actually be um, uh, sanctioned uh, to, to die, mm. and furthermore, um, we should bear with a lot of uh, harm to women in order to produce that effect. So, uh, very right. strange, strange right. culture seems, indeed. Would you say it's fair to say that uh, usually in these situations, historically with evil, the initial downside doesn't show up right away, but it does show up at some time? Oh, there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and there's nothing whispered in the corners that will not be shouted from the rooftops. Absolutely true. And I think eventually when evil, you know, gets to a, a high enough state that its effects cannot be hidden anymore by those who want to hide it, and of course the evil spirit more than anybody mm. wants to hide those evil effects, then of course people start going, wait a minute, this doesn't look like such a great idea. And basically right. that's the reason I wrote that book, Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. Uh, for one reason only. Mm -hmm. I wanted to reveal all the statistics that are out there already uh, that are being put out by secular institutes, uh, you know, the Archives of General mm -hmm. Psychiatry, all the university studies, the Pew survey studies, et cetera, et cetera. I just thought, I just am going to collect all of these things. I'm just going to put it, I had 46 pages of uh, bibliography uh, in that book because of the number of studies, and they all point to the same conclusion. Every single one of the Catholic Church's teachings on morality is really, really good for your emotional life, spiritual life, relational life, and marital life. And every single one, uh, uh, disobeying uh, every single one of those uh, church teachings is going to wind up having a significant increase in depression, anxiety, suicides, suicidal contemplation, substance abuse, panic attacks, as well as the decline in prayer life, church attendance, belief in God, and of course at the same time uh, those things that pertain to marriage uh, will undermine uh, a good uh, covenant um, love and, and a marriage that will last for a lifetime with good marital satisfaction and children that are brought up in the midst of that love and that religious faith. And when you put it all together, it adds up to one big, huge um, formula for cultural suicide mm -hmm. to disobey these teachings and um, one big, huge cultural uh, fulfillment if we can manage as a culture to obey those teachings. Of course, there will be failings and things of that nature, but the concerted attempt to undermine the teachings, uh, that's like a cultural suicide if you mm -hmm. look at these statistics very, very carefully. And so I, I decided to document it all right. because it's all there and I just think people need to know, you know, you keep doing this, I'm telling you right now, we don't have a chance. We're going to implode. We're not going to, you know, this culture is not going to disappear because, you know, Russia is going to take it over. We're going to do an old Roman Empire deal right, right. and just implode on our moral improprieties until, of course, uh, we become so decadent we don't even have the will to defend ourselves anymore. So that's, um, that's right. my prediction. I think just uh, superior cultures will take over, ones that are less hedonistic and decadent, ones that are less uh, concerned 
concerned with narcissistic uh, um, you know, values and uh, quote unquote, and uh, are instead interested uh, not only in religious and transcendent values, but interested in respecting other people um, in the way that they deserve according to the kind of love that Christ gave us. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I know I sound like, uh, you know, well, yeah, we're going to experience cultural decline, but we are experiencing right, cultural right, decline. Right. Uh, what can we say? Look at, look at the suicide statistics and the depression anxiety statistics among young people. It's just skyrocketing every 10 years. They just can get in, you know, this is before COVID, they get another 56% increase in suicides, another 60% increase in depression and anxiety go ahead you know I mean you keep doing it and uh, and uh, this is just going to keep happening more and more and more I wonder what's causing it right. the decline in religion is causing it what's causing it it's the disobedience of just normal moral um, what used to be normal moral norms uh, by our own consciences now of course it's considered extraordinary rules of uh, of you know a, a church that just can't keep its hands out of our bedroom Rooms, et cetera, et cetera. But for all intents and purposes, uh, adultery was never a great idea. Pornography was never a great idea. Homosexual lifestyle was never a great idea. And transgenderism, as we're discovering, is not a great idea, <coughs> especially sexual reassignment surgery. <clears throat> so there's where we stand, right. and I'll just leave it at that. Right. You know, it's, I mean, uh, Jesus is right. Right, absolutely. It's interesting, too, because you were talking about peer reviewed studies. One of the things that struck me recently is uh, I know there's a study that's being purported out there that's claiming that the abortion restrictions are causing more suicides and things like this in young women uh, which is is not true of course but what it struck me is that a lot of times it's becoming clearer that you when you read these studies like you said when you examine you know, one of the first things you got to understand is who paid for the study and did oh, yeah. they have an yeah. agenda and with the outcome predetermined. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I mean, that you're, you're right on the marker. <clears throat> As I said, if you want an objective study um, of post-abortion syndrome uh, and the real suicide rate that happens uh, with respect to abortions, look at Priscilla Coleman's study uh, of three quarters of a million women. That's on the Cambridge University website, published in the British uh, Journal of Psychiatry. And there you will find, I believe it is, uh, uh, a 90 percent, I believe it's right in that uh, mm. area, uh, ch uh, increased chance of psychological problems um, if you have an abortion in comparison with um, not having an abortion and bringing your, um, the baby to, pre uh, to a term or um, to, um, not having been pregnant at all. So, I mean, that's like a 90% greater chance. With a, a four times increase uh, in suicides, a 2.5 times increase in um, uh, suicidal contemplation, if you have an abortion, and uh, the same thing with depression, anxiety, et cetera, uh, and substance abuse all the way down the line. So yeah. I would take a look at that study. Do not look at, the, you know, studies, that specialized studies in light of a new segmented area. Mm. She's got a very comprehensive study, and three-quarters of a million women, that's a great sample size. Right. That's the one we ought to be looking at. Good point. Uh, speaking of surveys, this one uh, recently came out uh, this month from the uh, American Enterprise Institute Survey on Center on American Life, Faith After the Pandemic. 
Uh, we've been talking about this uh, over the mm -hmm. last two years. Uh, their yeah. point uh, is that American white Catholics, the percentage of those who do not attend religious services, increased from 11 to 18 percent. Hispanic Catholics who never attended increased from 10 to 20 percent. Almost half of Catholic respondents continue to say they attend religious services infrequently, the survey found. However, and this is the point you never hear, consistent mass goers tended to continue their church-going habits. The percentages of white Catholic and Hispanic Catholics who regularly attend religious services now compared with before the pandemic were relatively unchanged yeah. at 30% and 23% yep. respectively. The groups most likely to attend religious services attend regularly are political conservatives, adults age 50 and older, women, married adults, and people with college degree. Their frequency of attendance was largely similar to before the pandemic in the spring of 2022. Then it goes on to say, and this kind of relates to what you work with a lot, the habits of young adult population, those age 18 to 29, showed significant changes. About 30% of young adults attend religious services less often now, while only 12% are more religiously active compared to before the pandemic. And the survey showed little changes between Mormons, evangelical Christians, and Jews. So that would lend one to think it's really mainline Protestantism and Catholicism. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, I think young people, uh, uh, if they don't have that gumption in them, uh, or if they have, you know, doubts within them, or um, if they are just being drawn away by what I call alternative cultural values uh, that are not looking carefully um, at the underpinnings of what those quote-unquote values are, because remember, values can be very bad for you. V values can be very bad for your spiritual life. Uh, you know, it just means what is it you value. Mm -hmm. So it's not like saying moral. Value doesn't mean moral. So the idea then is, is um, you know, there are these alternative values that young people have. They're being persuaded uh, by the culture mm -hmm. that, um, you know, uh, sexual license is, is okay. It's, it's not going to do any harm. And last week I discussed, you know, very right. clearly mm -hmm. the harms that it does do. It's hugely harmful. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of young Catholics who really believe, well, you know, if a person wants a sexual reassignment surgery, just give it to them. But, I mean, you got to consider the fact that there's going to be a 20 times increase uh, in, in suicide rates, you know, 34 percent of the, that population. You know, if somebody oh, wants to uh, live a homosexual lifestyle, well, that's great. You know, I, I'm glad they do. But, you know, you just might want to say, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be a seven times increase um, in uh, suicidal contemplation so that uh, about 40 percent of that population is contemplating suicide on a serious basis. Uh, there's something wrong here. I mean, so we, we do need to inform our young people about what's really going on consequentially, uh, you know, in terms of um, just, you know, you know, if, if Joe wants to and Mary wants to, just go ahead and let him. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't think, you know, that's the real ideal of freedom. Right. The real ideal of freedom is informed consent right. so that if Joe and Mary really know what the consequences are and want to delve into this and, and then, you know, have some support to get out of it once they start moving into the panic attacks, the depression, anxiety, substance abuse and suicidal contemplation and suicides, then uh, you, you might say, well, okay, that's their choice. But at least it was an informed choice. Right. But right now the idea is that, well, if they want to, no. 
as if they want to, maybe, but are they informed about what the consequences of that choice is? You know, all children want to go out in the street and play, mm. you know, uh, but I mean, can they make an informed choice? Well, I would say that uh, some kids can, but a lot of kids really don't have a highly developed frontal lobe where all the good judgment's coming from, so it's better if parents probably give some sage advice to their children about playing in the streets. I mean, the point is pretty clear, you know, that you know our, our culture um, you know has a very lackadaisical non-loving approach uh, to uh, to uh, morality and to religion right we kind of I mean, have the whole this, idea uh, is well if you don't you're gonna yeah. do it you're gonna do it anyway so I might as well say it's okay instead of saying like yeah. you said my yeah. obligation is to tell you the truth in love after yeah. that if yeah, you're an, that's an, right if you're an adult and you have an informed conscience the way you've malformed it whatever it is at least like you said yeah. I've done my part yeah but the idea is if you want to um, to do the you know to do this thing you know uh, I'm not gonna let you do it without telling you first what I know to be the case right. and the second thing is you, you say well if, uh, if you want to if you don't want to go to church anymore well, that's your business don't go well at least tell them what the consequences right. are right. Um, you know if they if they haven't figured out what the religious consequences are I, I think that's you know we should tell them that too but also there's a really good emotional cons uh, mm -hmm. bad emotional consequences that they need to know about right. and you know we know that you know you can have a doubling and tripling of depression and anxiety and substance abuse etc just by not attending to your religious life mm -hmm. that huge study done by the American Psychiatric Association that pretty much tells the whole truth of the matter I mean there's no surprise to me that these suicide rates and homicide rates and depression rates and anxiety rates of young people are skyrocketing through the ceiling. Mm. I mean, we know this already. We know that religion, you know, keeps those things under control. We know uh, that following, um, you know, normal moral order keeps those things under control. Mm. And when they're not in place, pretty much you can expect exactly what the statistics say you're gonna get. And that's exactly what we're playing out in the culture. Right. And it is crazy for us not to tell the consequences of actions to those who are thinking of practicing. Well, I mean, our whole point is, in, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. the, the point of informed consent, uh, you know, if we really believe right. freedom is based on informed choice um, and informed consent, then let's, let's, uh, Let's, you know, change our, our, our lackadaisical habits and, you know, you just don't want, you want to be nice, good, be nice, but, but don't be nice that way. Right, absolutely. Uh, here's a story, a quick thing, it's a little on the side, but uh, with the Cardinal McCarrick case, or ex-Cardinal McCarrick case coming up yeah, again in, yeah. in the news, uh, I thought this was interesting. There's a, a story came out about a study that was done came out of the Chicago Public School Teachers Union, which said hundreds of teachers in that, in that system raped, sexually assaulted, and groomed students last year. According to a report released by, by the Public School Office of the Inspector General between 21 and 22 year, school year, 772 investigations into teachers for allegedly raping, sexually assaulting, or grooming students. They went on to say the office was able to close 600 adult-on-student cases in the past year and substantiated more than half of the allegations. 
uh, despite that only 16 of the cases have been resulted in charges. And it's not to uh, defend uh, the horrors inside the church, but it's also to put some of these things in context for people to realize that this isn't a purview just or something that happens inside religious organizations. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. It's very true. Uh, and it's uh, not just uh, uh, in the schools, though the highest incident rate of uh, abuse of children is in schools, uh, but it's also with respect to athletic uh, organizations and coaches. Uh, that is a, a second highest uh, incidence. And, of course, there's even um, things that go on um, uh, in uh, other uh, organizations uh, uh, that are not religiously affiliated, mm -hmm. but religion is there, uh, and it's just not the Catholic religion. It's all religions have the same uh, difficulties with abuses, but mm -hmm. until we, um, I mean, I think the Catholic Church has taken a lot of very, very good steps uh, to alleviate that, but, you know, I mean, it's horrible what happened. Mm -hmm. right. It's horrible that these people violated their vows, and um, alas, uh, you know, uh, you know. Um, I, I think you know we probably responded too little, too late. But mm -hmm. now we are responding, and we're responding uh, uh, so well that it's really bringing the incidence of all these things down to a much, much lower level. Right. I mean, it begins in the seminaries, but it also it has to continue uh, to be monitored by bishops very faithfully, mm -hmm. and they're they're doing that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, once. You know, any kind of allegation is reported, um, uh, these priests are taken offline. Right. So um, those are, anyway, um, so, uh, uh, it, you know, there's no excuse for past, um, you know, right. offenses Absolutely. and certainly for hiding them, you know, but, um, but uh, at the same time, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, there, you have to look at it in the context of all of these other organizations that deal with young people right. from schools, uh, public schools to, to coaching and athletic right. organizations uh, to even organizations that, you know, uh, deal with music and hobbies and so forth and so on. They're, they're there in huge numbers and, uh, you know, it's uh, the online community uh, now is probably spawning more um, abuse say, of children than anything right, else. Right, yeah. right. Like you talked about last yeah. week with the whole pornography. I mean, when you get that objectification, yeah. you know, that these that people are basically there for your personal pleasure, you know what I mean, yeah. kind of a situation, how much yeah. of that, you know, looks for some sort of outlet outside of watching it on a video monitor. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very true. Uh, you know. um, absolutely true. And uh, so you can... Uh, you can pretty much predict what's going to happen, and I even knew a, a person who, you know, did uh, computer bots. You know, that tried to get into, um, you know, the, these abusers are so frequent; mm -hmm. they just don't, simply do not have enough FBI agents and and police officers to actually monitor all these people who are pursuing these mm -hmm. poor young people who have no idea, uh, you know, how many people are out there to victimize them. And um, but the bots actually can, you know, engage these people oh. and get a lot of information out of them and trace down their IP addresses. It's a very ingenious sort of technique, but, you know, I, I you know, my, at first I said, well, do we, you know, do we really need all these bots? Mm. Oh, yeah, the bots make every FBI agent 20 times more effective. Mm. You know, one FBI agent can, you know, control 20 bots, 30 bots, but, uh, you know, just one by one dealing with right. everybody. Um, you know, it's, you, you couldn't possibly have enough agents. So that's how pervasive the abuse is right. out there. It's, it's, 
it's pretty pervasive. Well, we got to make sure that the FBI guys are worried about that and not worried about what's going on at the protests in front of abortion <laughs> clinics. That would yeah. be helpful too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that would be helpful. <laughs> here's a, here's some here's a question or some questions we'll get to you, dear Father Spitzer. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus calls all who are weary to come to him because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But in Luke, our Lord says, in order to follow him, we must take up our cross daily. I don't consider a cross to be a burden that is light. How do I explain this apparent contradiction? This is Margaret. Yeah, Margaret, that's a very good question. And, you know, it's not just in Luke, you know, but uh, uh, it's also in the other Gospels um, that we need to take up our cross. Luke emphasizes that uh, uh, pretty clearly. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, of course, Jesus is, is uh, you know, you know he, when people say, oh, what do you mean your yoke is easy and your burden is light? What Jesus is trying to say is that he's not the cause of the cross, right? Um, you know, crosses have happen. So, um, you know, like the cross that Luke is talking about, that could happen because of your family members, or that could happen because of your job, or that could happen because of, uh, you know, a crime on the street. Um, it could happen because you get a genetic disorder. It could happen for a variety of reasons, but it's not Jesus's yoke, right? That cross you know, is there are things that happen to us that are painful. And Jesus says, take up that cross and follow in my footsteps. What's Jesus's yoke? What is his burden? He gives relief. What Jesus is trying to say is when one door slams, my Holy Spirit is opening another door in front of you. When one door slams, here are some prayers you should pray, and I can bring peace into your life. When one door slams, there might be some really good opportunities for you to see. Opportunities maybe where you could do something new in life. Opportunity, right? I mean, I, uh, one door slammed when I started going blind at the age of 31. I, I didn't want to go blind, uh, you know, but on the other hand, I would have been a fool not to look for the opportunities in the blindness because in those opportunities it's just like Paul says in my weakness in my is my strength and when I grow weaker Christ grows stronger in me you know so you know Paul says uh, you know the Lord sent an angel of Satan to beat him to keep him from getting proud and that pride was antithetical to Christ growing stronger in him so in every manifestation mm -hmm. of weakness and I think Paul had an eye problem myself mm -hmm. uh, but that's a whole other story but he certainly but the, the did point at one is, point um, and we know that I mean, he oh yeah 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 pride. yeah yeah, he did. He, he, you know, I mean, I can point out about five passages right. in Scripture that uh, really indicate it. But the one thing that's interesting, though, is if we take advantage of, you know, of those opportunities to grow in virtue or those opportunities to do something new in our lives that we never considered, I'm telling you, when one door slams, the Holy Spirit is opening up other doors, mm -hmm. maybe some windows, too. But the point that um, is really clear is, 
is suffering helps us to get to heaven. Mm -hmm. And if we have faith and use our faith in suffering, then we not only get to heaven faster, we actually find ourselves growing in the virtues that are needed to get to heaven. And Christ levers, uses all these things while he is bringing us peace. And that, you know, I have to tell you, that has been my experience with blindness. I know it's not the worst of possible disorders, but it's one that is uh, um, uh, definitely inconvenient. Mm. You can have all the same kinds of difficulties uh, dealing with it because you're looking back on your past life. Oh, I was able to drive. Now I'm not able to drive. Now I was able to be competitive in doing these things. Now I can't be competitive. Now I'm bumping into things in the airport. You're always playing the comparison game. You have the same kinds of things. What is my life going to be like? My life as a scholar is going to mm. be over, blah, 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 blah. Uh, None of it needs, you know, if you listen to that voice in your head, instead of relying on Christ and trusting in him who takes care of everything, he can lever it all for one thing, the one thing that God wants. He wants you to get to heaven, eternal life, and he wants you to appropriate those virtues that will help you to get into heaven, and he wants you to lead other people into heaven. And if you're doing those three things, and suffering was the road that it took, and it took Augustine that road, it took every saint I know that road uh, to get into heaven. They needed some suffering. They needed that leverage. They needed that same, uh, you know, uh, angel of Satan to beat them to keep them from getting proud that Paul talks about so that they could know that their true strength is Christ Jesus and their true, true goal is to lead other people into the kingdom of heaven so that they also may get into that kingdom. If that's, you know, if suffering has that potentiality in every moment of it, and by the way, it can even happen in a concentration camp. If you uh, look at uh, Viktor Frankl's incredibly good book, Man's Search for Meaning, all these things, I'm telling you, you know, suffering, it's awful to right. begin with. You know, who wants to suffer? Who wants to break their leg? Nobody. But at the at the same time, you know, if right. we begin to look well, at this soberly, breaks, maturely, Father, through we, the eyes of faith. Uh, <laughs> we actually have to it. take one right now. So, uh, but hold that thought. We'll pick that up right after we All come right. back. Stay Very with good. us here in Father Spitzer's Universe. And as always, we appreciate you staying with us as we continue on our journey through Father Spitzer's universe. Our topic, Pride, from Father's book, Satan in Our Daily Lives, of course, available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. Father, we were finishing up on uh, that, that question uh, from Margaret. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I thought was interesting, yeah. you, you pointed out, and I was thinking, do you think people in the world today think kind of like, you know, if I follow Jesus, I have to carry this cross. So. Uh, to avoid the cross, I'm not going to follow Jesus. 
Yeah, well, they might think that way, but of yeah, course right. that would be contrary to what Jesus intended. Right. What he wanted to say is, right, crosses are unavoidable. They're going to happen to us. Right. They're going to happen to us in the workplace, in our family lives, etc. So the, the main thing is, is he wants to say, oh, take up your cross and follow him. But how does Jesus take up his cross? How do we follow him? He had trust in his heavenly Father. And more than that, um, he knew how to pray to his heavenly Father. So if we trust and, and pray, uh, you know, to him, to Jesus, and to his heavenly Father, if we too uh, follow the Holy Spirit who is opening these doors to all kinds of new opportunities, <clears throat> especially opening the door to salvation mm -hmm. through our suffering and helping us to help others to their salvation through our suffering, if we're doing that, he's going to give us the peace. He's going to give us what we need uh, in order to get to that goal, which right. is heaven, and to lead other people to heaven. And that's how saints do it. I mean, that doesn't mean uh, that they had a perfect life, a perfectly peaceful life in this life after that. Although, if we put our trust in God, uh, you know, his yoke is easy and, our, and his burden is life. If we put our trust in Jesus, I mean, you can see from the statistics what happens, right? People who really do follow through on their religious life have significantly lower rates of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, suicidal ideation, etc. So, I mean, you can mm -hmm. see uh, that, you know, there is perfect sense. His yoke is easy. I mean, okay. his yoke is kind of lifting us up and helping us. His burden is light. He lightens the burdens of the crosses right. that he doesn't cause, the crosses that just happen right. in our lives. Right, absolutely. Uh, another question, dear Father Spitzer, I have a Masonic ring of a deceased beloved family member. I know the Masonic rite oh. is not holy. What must I do with this ring? Should I have it destroyed? And if so, how? Kathy. I would just send it right back to the Masonic Lodge from which he got it and said, thought you might be interested in this, I'm not. Mm -hmm. Signed, Kathy. That's what I would do. And um, I mean, if you want to destroy it, fine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but uh, I would just make your public disclaimer uh, of your relative's uh, Masonic heritage and I would uh, uh, just uh, keep it at that. I mean, uh, I, I think... Um, uh, that's probably the best way to go. Right. Okay, another question. Dear Father Spitzer. Or um, oh, just dis destroy it. Yeah. Okay. I was just going to say, or just destroy yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. You can go to Mount Motor, Motor and throw it in the, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or, or do like well, Teresa did. Say Teresa of Avila, remember? She, you know, the guy who was wearing that pendant, uh -huh. you know, that was keeping him enslaved, you know, yeah. in, in this relationship to this gal. She says, oh, I'd like that uh, pendant, you know, she gave mm -hmm. you. Oh, thank you. You know, he takes it from him and just goes over to the river, goes uh, tosses it right in. That's that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, tossing it into the river is a good good method. <laughs> Sorry. There you go. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, this person wants to know, can one pray for a curse reversal? If someone received an inheritance they felt was cursed, can the curse be removed? Or would it be safer to not accept the inheritance? Barbara, I don't know what they have, King Tut's uh, curse here or what, what, mm. what the curse might be. So. 
Yeah, I'm not sure, Barbara, but I can tell you any curse can be reversed because Jesus is the head guy. Mm. You know, the, the devil never has the last card to play. Uh, Jesus Christ has the last card to play ever and always. So any curse can be reversed. And, you know, if, if you're worried about, uh, you know, something of that nature, have a priest. Uh, I mean, I know it's, uh, is this, uh, I don't know if this is like a financial inheritance or whatever right. it might be, uh, or whether it was the inheritance of a house or something, but a, a priest can always bless a house or mm -hmm. uh, can always um, uh, say a prayer of blessing uh, with respect to whatever it is that you're receiving uh, financially or whether this might be jewelry or whatever. I'm mm -hmm. not sure what the inheritance is, uh, but yes, of course, uh, the prayers can be said and you also yourself um, can use holy water uh, to, to bless uh, various kinds of things. But if you, you know, priests do blessings all the time mm -hmm. of, of all kinds of things. And uh, of course, you know, you can pray uh, that these, that this, uh, uh, whatever it might be. I don't know if it's financial or what it might be, right. but even if it's financial, that these funds uh, actually become used for beneficial means that will help support the kingdom of God Absolutely. rather than to detract from it, help support your family rather than to detract from it. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Let's get to uh, your book, page 330, Satan's Tactics. We were talking a little bit about uh, Lenin and Stalin, the Bolsheviks, how they uh, as a yeah. follow-up to Hitler, yeah. uh, use their own kind of dialectical materialism to justify uh, their despotic authority in the evil of quote-unquote capitalism. And again, following through yeah. with that same idea with that marginalization of God, religion, empathy, and conscience, uh, allowing for the absolute arbitrary and cruel use of power. Absolutely. I mean, you have three natural gifts in you um, that will prevent um, your ego from uh, getting out of hand, that will prevent, um, you know, narcissism from getting out of hand, that will, you know, lead you in the path to Jesus Christ towards your salvation. You've got your religion, right, it, itself, right, the sacraments themselves, very important, your prayer life itself, etc. That religion corresponds, we might just call it, to the numinous experience within you, God's presence within you. Um, and, and if you feed God's interior presence within you, what the early church fathers called the inner word, you can feed that through the sacraments, through your prayer life, through reading the gospels, uh, scriptures, etc. If you feed that, obviously it's going to do you um, very, very well. Uh, you know, going forward. Again, you can feed your conscience mm. by when you do g virtuous things and avoid evil things, your conscience grows stronger, just as your conscience grows weaker when you do evil things and avoid good things. And empathy, that's a normal, you know, natural feeling, uh, you know, of, of uh, conat, of, of, you know, kind of simpatico that we have mm -hmm. with other human beings, you know, a, a sympathetic wave, as it were, 
um, you know, between human beings that, where you just kind of look at the eyes, which are the windows to the soul in another human being, and you connect with, you get a sense of their true value, their goodness, their unique lovability, and their transcendent worth before God. Oh, it's all communicated in the eyes, and, and, and we naturally empathize with people, and we don't want to do them harm. Mm -hmm. But that's the problem with egoism and narcissism, that, or what we might call pride. It just tends to callous over religion, mm -hmm. which is generally the first thing to go, right? You don't want to, all these dictates of God, you know, I don't need them. I'm above it all. And uh, last week we left off on, uh, I'm above good and evil. Mm -hmm. So the main thing, of course, is once you start, you know, callousing yourself to God, callousing yourself to religion, to the sacraments, to the church, once you start callousing yourself to conscience, right, you start doing evil things, avoiding good things, thinking you're beyond good and evil, etc. And then once you start callousing yourself to empathy, where you really don't care about about anybody that you meet or what's he to me he can't give me anything that I want mm -hmm. you know I'm you know write him off all right it, it, once you callous yourself to those three natural gifts you have that not only keep you on the path to salvation but make you a civilized humane good productive conscientious human being then you got problems. I mean, now pride has gotten out of hand. And, uh, and you know, that, that's a choice we make, right? We make a choice not to be religious. We make a choice not to follow our empathy and to care. Mm -hmm. We make a choice not to follow our conscience. It's a choice. And if you keep choosing against those three gifts, you'll change your nature. And your nature, instead of being inclined toward the good, will become progressively inclined toward evil, right, contra conscience, against love, uh, contra um, empathy, mm -hmm. and against God and religion, uh, and contra religion. So you can see that once this happens, um, you break off the relationship with God, you break off the grace, you break off the empathy uh, that leads to care, you break off your conscience, right? All three of these things are God's gift to you, right? I mean, that's God working through your empathy, God working through your conscience, God working uh, through the religion, through the sacraments uh, into your interior life. Have you cut yourself off by choosing again and again and again not to follow his way, not to follow his law, mm -hmm. not to follow his um, moral uh, strictures, not to follow your religion, not to follow the sacraments? If you choose again and again and again not to do it, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You're going to go into the darkness, and you're going to go into that darkness in powerlessness. You're not going to have the capacity to resist the evil spirit. It's just not going to happen. And of course, as you get more and more under his influence, it's not going to get easier to turn back. It's going to be harder and harder to turn back. You're going to get addicted to the evil that you do, addicted to the hatreds that are contrary to empathy and love and care. You're going to get addicted to the irreligiosity and the pure autonomous spirit that, you know, that is, you know, the Nietzschean program that is waved in front of you, you know, that uh, you can become the superman, the ubermensch, the ubermenschlichkeit. You know, you can become the one that uh, is, is going to be beyond good and evil. 
evil, the Messiah. You can be unto yourself the great, great Ubermensch. And so once you have done this, well, you think it's going to be easy to turn back? You're so cooperating now with the evil spirit. You're so addicted to the darkness. He's just giving you all the suck-up juice you need to sustain you. But believe me, the day is coming when the rug's going to be pulled right out from under your feet. And when it, he's going, he, he's not, nothing's for free that comes from the evil spirit. Everything's for free that comes from the Lord. But I'm telling you, he will exact the payment. And when he exacts the payment, you will know how difficult it will be to turn around because you're going to get scared when he exacts that payment and you're going to see how powerless you are and you're going to see that your salvation is not only jeopardized mm -hmm. but you're going to see that everything you love in the world is jeopardized and all of the arrogance is just going to come down to good old Hitler in the bunker mm -hmm. it's going to come down to you know Bormann in the in the uh, bunker mm -hmm. and uh, at the uh, you know very moment you know when all these things happen I'm telling you you uh, I I adjure you if uh, I mean, of course I'm preaching the choir here mm -hmm. but if you're in that category turn now don't wait till later to turn get back to the Lord get back to church get back to the sacraments go to confession don't wait it gets harder and harder and harder to turn. And once he's got you in his grasp mm -hmm. and he thinks you, he's got you over the line, he'll exact the payment. And that's a scary day indeed. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, too, uh, uh, elsewhere on this particular page, you talk about even religion despots, yeah. and you point out, like a Jim Jones or David Koresh, mm -hmm. have to marginalize yeah. concepts, principles, good and evil, empathy, personal relationship with a just and loving God. Though this may seem counterintuitive, yeah. I thought this was interesting. Many cult leaders search our religious texts from their traditions that are quite ancient in origin. Uh, and, and you even talk about the Old Testament mm -hmm. here. What do you mean? Well, I mean, what, uh, what I mean is they find passages that you can... Um, uh, that might look like they justify the actions that they're uh, proffering, right, mm -hmm. that they're promoting. And, and so the, uh, the idea would be then that, uh, um, you, know, they, you know, even the devil can quote scripture, mm -hmm. right? And so the idea is they search around for all kinds of passages that look right and, you know, they, they quote uh, uh, the scriptures in an almost demonic way. And so you have to be so careful because, uh, you know, a religious despot, um, you know, and there are many, you know, we uh, open the newspaper, we can see them all over the place, people who use religion for their best results. But, you know, as Christ says, too, you know, those people are answerable to him, mm -hmm. those false prophets and those false priests. You know, they're, um, they're answerable to him, but um, they, they do come in very much wolf's clothing, uh, sheep's clothing, mm -hmm. and they're, the wolf um, definitely will exact his price. And uh, you, oh, the terrible thing with Jim Jones, you know, uh, this power-hungry, crazy, right. crazy right. guy. 
and uh, yet people followed him. They thought he had this message of love, and at the end, it was all a message of hatred. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't encourage anybody to listen to those last moments that were reported no, right, right. when he's encouraging all of these babies and everything, the mothers to give their babies, you know, cyanide and so forth and the Kool-Aid. It's just uh, absurd. I mean, you look at it, it's so filled with darkness, despair, and diabolical dark power, you know, and there it is, you know, and people are just, you know, their hearts are, who wouldn't take their baby and run? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you, you know, they're, they're almost, of course, some did uh, unfortunately, shot, poor little victims. They shot some of yeah. them, you know, that's what happened too. Yeah, but some got away, right. you know, too. But I mean, be better than taking your own life, right. um, you know, in my view. Uh, may as well get shot in the shot, back right. and take a fifth, you know, a risk, right. you know, to get away. But no, um, yeah, but anyway, so the yeah, so. But it was also yeah, one of so those I, things I just, too when you're in a situation where they isolate the group, right? So that there's a yeah. total control yeah, going on. Down in on, British right? Guiana, right, or right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. right, exactly, yeah, exactly. And not only do they have total control, um, but they, you know, they're first they're nice and open and so forth until, of course, they sort of uh, promote the suicide deal. You know, and it's so interesting how our religious despot uh, oftentimes winds up, you know, especially in a cult, mm -hmm. you know, where the suicide card gets pulled out or the homicide card gets pulled out if, if you're not um, cooperative, right. et cetera. And, uh, oh, it's just an accident, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So be very, very careful. And as Jesus says, beware of those wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of these false prophets uh, that come looking like they're bearing, uh, you know, gifts and religion and God's word. But in point of fact, they're nothing more than wolves right. and so forth. And so and we, we have to look at them ravenous by their fruits. Exactly. So they're out there and Jesus tries to warn us. Um, right. And of course, what's motivating them? Ego, 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 power, power, power. I'm the Messiah. It's not God who's the Messiah. And you can always see the self-promotion in them. You can always see there's no little glimmer of humility. There's no uh, desire uh, to, to do anything against their own will in order to accommodate the good and loving will of God. And that's where you see the, um, you know, right. the, the despot, uh, you know, he can't hide uh, long um, because, you know, the sheep's clothing has to come off the moment he's asked uh, to, uh, to give up his will or his, right. um, you know, his power over somebody, uh, which is what he really wants, or his messianic, uh, um, you know, pretensions uh, or messianic position. Once he's asked to do that, well, everybody may as well commit suicide. Now, you know, I'll do it too, but, you know, everybody. I mean, look at Hitler uh, sitting there in the bunker. Everybody ought to commit suicide. 
Uh, right. Uh, all these have, people, including like, Goering, uh, is right. saying, wait a minute, I don't think so. Right. Uh, you know, even Goebbels tried to join Well, Goebbels actually did. But, he did. But, he, uh, he killed him you know, himself you, and his whole family. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah right. And his whole family, yeah, he was so convinced. And he was with Hitler in the end, but most of these other guys were trying to escape right, uh, right out of the uh, well, country. Well, it's interesting, so, as, uh, you, as you said, anyway, with, with pride and related to Himmler this. Himmler, too. The, yeah, the self-destructive nation nature of this how it turns in on itself yeah you're evident you make the point oh, yeah. evidently they know they are not they are not the true god none of us are succeeding in this yeah. masquerade requires depriving other people of the true grace of god falsely pretending to have yeah. the key to ultimate fulfillment dignity and destiny and using the victims as pawns in an undeniable satanic scheme Absolutely true, and and uh, and uh, no no question about it. And uh, it's a satanic scheme, and of course these uh, poor other people, they're just pawns. I mean, what can you say? Right. I mean, they're I mean they've been victimized most of the time. I mean, you know, so many of these people, like these Hitler youth, you know, uh, following this crazy guy blindly, uh, believing that he is the key to to true success and happiness for uh, not only Germany but for themselves. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just uh, uh, pure craziness. And then, of course, Hitler does what? Says, here, go take this pitchfork and go out and defend, um, you know, the, the, the homeland here, uh, the Reich, from these terrible uh, Russians and Americans who are invading. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> a pitchfork isn't going to do much no. good in the hands of a 14-year-old. Right. You know, it's, uh, it's as they say, uh, you know, the poor American troops said, well, we didn't want to shoot them. Uh, but they wouldn't surrender, right. you know. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, crazy. I mean, how, how brainwashed uh, they could be. And, you know, all of these housewives out there in the street cheering Hitler with these torch-lit lit parades. I mean, the guy knew how to do it. Right. He knew how to, you know, exercise that demonic charism over people. But at the base of it all is power. The base of it all is, you know, um, narcissism and, of course, despotic position mm -hmm. that's so addictive, you know, the power over other human beings that's so addictive that he could just use um, uh, to, uh, uh, to right. be God but for but, a short time, to but, be uh, the German Messiah for right. a short time. But that doesn't solve his problems. As you point out, Hitler suffered from depression, similar to you, you talked about yeah. uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth yeah. I. Uh, you know, yeah. anger, nightmare, suicidal tendencies, etc. So he yeah. was tortured oh, as yeah, well. No. It wasn't like by oh, becoming this very messianic so. character, he was, he felt great. Yeah, no, he didn't feel great. I mean, he had a doctor at all times who was pumping all of these drugs uh, into him. I mean, these were like mood enhancers and energy enhancers. Right. And of course, he would be sleeping until 2 o'clock in the afternoon and said, thank goodness he was doing that mm. uh, because, of course, uh, when we were invading, invading at, right. at uh, D-Day, mm. uh, yeah, they, they wouldn't release the Panzer divisions that were there, right. uh, you know, uh, by the Pas de Calais and the spare Panzer division until the Führer woke up, right, you know. Right, right. And so 
uh, uh, you know, a good thing uh, for us. But, I mean, all those things uh, were put into place. But, uh, yeah, he was being fed this huge... Uh, you know, tonnage of drugs, yeah. really. Uh, what yeah. was that doctor's name? Yeah, the cocktails that were. Uh, I forget. Were, um, he was, you know, uh, yeah. He had amphetamines and everything yeah. else that they were, had him on. So. Oh, he did. Right. Yeah, no, he, he, and he was pumping it all in the, into good old Hitler, uh, you know, one thing after the next. And uh, so he sort of kept alive, but he knew deep down. Uh, you know that his fate was close at hand, and when the bunker, you know, uh, was being, you know, literally mm -hmm. cascaded by Russian artillery, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it was pretty clear uh, it was all over. So, and he did what all uh, these tyrants do. That you know, he committed suicide. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, the messianic pretension always winds up in a very bad way. I mean. Uh, Good old Macbeth, of course, being run through by a sword. That was a merciful mm. way mm. Of, uh, of getting it. But, um, you, know, uh, um, you know, at the same time, uh, a lot of people are tormented right, right. to the end. Absolutely. Uh, tyranny, tyranny uh, uh, out, you know, without God is so lonely, so empty, so alienating, and, of course, so evil as the evil spirit just exacts his price more and more and more. He is not kind to his disciples. Absolutely. The devil is not. Absolutely. So, anyway, I'll just with, leave it at that. With that emphasized, yeah. we'll close out this week and ask for your blessing on the way out the door, Father. Very good. And may Almighty God, who is our source of salvation, Almighty God in Jesus Christ, who is our source of true happiness, of true love, of true goodness, and therefore of true community in that heavenly kingdom, in that goodness, may Almighty God bless you and enter into you through His Holy Spirit to inspire, guide, protect, help you into your salvation and the salvation of others you touch. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next week. And a reminder that Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are naturally available through our EWTN religious catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. We continue talking about pride from Father's book as well next week. And our bookmark this week is 40 Gifts of Hope, Encouragement in Times of Sickness and Suffering by Paula Umana. Check that out, a book interview. And you're not alone, the pro-life movement in a canceled culture, a roundtable discussion. This is a program from Canada by our good friend Kevin Dunn on the challenges facing the pro-life movement, especially up in Canada. It's on Saturday, January 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. You'll want to check it out. Always an interesting program he produces for us. I'm Doug Keck. We'll see you next time when we once more re-enter Father Spitzer's universe. Hope to see you then.